0: All right, we got the Silver 7 Prospect crew here. It's Colin, it's Ari. We're going to talk some NHL draft. How's it going, guys?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me on again, Brandon. Thank you. I'm super glad to be a first-time person on internal budget and what uh, an episode to do it on.
0: I know. I was going to say, Colin's already done it, but we're finally getting you on. Ari's starting to make his podcast debut all over the place. He was on Locked On Sends not long ago, and now we've got him on internal budget. The big one, some might say. But... Uh, <laughs> I guess going into the draft, um, obviously there's not much we can say at this point. It's the biggest draft in, in Ottawa Senators history, two picks in the top five, but there's a lot of questions that remain to be answered. Uh, the consensus right now is that Alexis Lafreniere is the best player in the draft Quinton Byfield is probably number two or Tim Stutzle at number three. Stutzle, I think, as uh, Poppy from uh, This and in Life said. I'm never going to get that right. But in any case, Pierre Dorian has said that the Senators are going to pick whoever's left at three, whether it's Byfield or whether it's Stutzle. We picked at Silver 7, not me. I'm going to distance myself from you guys on this one because I don't agree. But we picked Lucas Raymond over Tim Stutzle at number three. Colin, why don't we start with you? Make the case to me for Lucas Raymond ahead of Tim Stutzla. Well, for me, Lucas Raymond is just so much of a more dynamic player. I mean, I say so much more,
2: but like it's when you get to the top, it's very close. You're always making these little adjustments. And you have to, when you're talking about franchise altering talent, you kind of have to look very close at, at these small things that separate these players. And for me, Lucas Raymond is just the more dynamic player. And don't get me wrong, I love Tim Stutzla and everything he brings to the ice. But um, for me, Stutzla... Look at his puck handling abilities, and they're otherworldly. But he also just tends to—he um, he tends to survive a lot just on working in very tight spaces in the DEL, where there is a bit more space for him, and he can kind of uh, like tactically weave through these defensive structures. Whereas I'm—I'm I'm a little—I'm a little less uh, convinced that he'll be able to do that in the NHL level. It'll have to be an adjustment he'll have to make going forward. But with Lucas Raymond, I'm just so much more convinced on how he attacks the offensive zone with such a tactile manner he can attack it from the sides he can attack it from the middle and he's just so agile on his feet too he's in my opinion at least he's one of the best skaters in the draft class um maybe not in terms of straight line speed i think he's still up there too although just the way he's able to maneuver around defenders and quickly uh get into dangerous areas and find uh teammates he sees the ice so well as well he's just so complete offensively um and while I don't tend to take into account defensive impacts as much in evaluating prospects, I find it just a bit of a bonus when evaluating someone like Lucas Raymond, who's just so energetic and is able to get pucks off of, of players so easily in the, in the defensive zone and move them up the ice. Um, and that's all, that's really everything I want and afford is someone who's just super energetic, always getting pucks to the right areas, has incredible, incredible talent and vision to uh, make some ecstatic plays at the right moments. And while Stutters definitely has a lot of that too, I'm personally just a bit more sold on Lucas Raymond and, and
0: how he'll be able to project in the NHL going forward. Ari, right, why don't you give me your thoughts on that? Because I know you guys, you did the same kind of rankings and you um, you had a lot of consensus with them. So I know you're in that camp too. So is it the same reasoning as Colin? or like I, I'm, I'm interested to see what exactly about that completion of, of his game stands out. Like, I, I know we kind of neglect defense a little bit when looking at prospects because defense and, and defensive skill, that's something can be learned. Uh, whereas raw offensive ability is harder to teach. Uh, what really shines through from Raymond in that sense, Ari?
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the best compliments I can give Stutzla to start is that the fact that he is one of the favorite prospects of many Sens fans for this draft, when Lucas Raymond is a Frolanda born winger, with Daniel Evertson and Eric Carlson both coming through that system, um, and a superstar in, in the junior leagues in Sweden, um, a hat-trick in the U18 gold medal game, and he's not the favorite, says a lot to me about People's opinion of Strutzla and how much I think this last year has done for his development, um, both as a player but also um, internationally, his resume. And I think, like I, the reason why I'm starting there is because I think Strutzla is the like Hollywood pick. He's the Ferrari. He's the he's the pizzazz that many probably want in the market. Um, and it's wild to me a little bit that people don't think Raymond is potentially the better pick because Strutzla's risky. Like how there's, there's how many players coming from the DEL who have made the NHL? Um, Leon Dreisaitl went to Prince Albert. Moritz Seider is one example who was taken very high. That's not to say that Germany isn't going to be a, a, a firepower later on. Um, I think we're starting to see that internationally, um, but Raymond, when we talk about his completeness of his game, um, both in the way that he tracks through the neutral zone, I think that's something that's very different than Stutzla. Um, they both have a motor and they both skate in different ways, but Raymond has that that anticipation that I think Alfredson also showed, um, especially as a right shot winger. Um, and I think the way that Raymond utilizes his vision is very different than Stutzla. So Stutzla... Um, They're both able to find seam passes. They're both able to create in the offensive zone. But I feel like Raymond, um, he's going to be the one potentially in the NHL that he's going to make that unreal Eric Carlson seam pass to Derek Broussard. People will be like, how did he even see that? Um, Because just his vision and his brain, by virtue of playing against higher competition for a much longer period of time than Stutzla, he has that there. And even if he potentially took his foot off the gas or whatever it might be in a very deep Frölunda team this past year, um, I think we're starting to see in the six or seven games that he's played, um, but more so his very long track record of doing this as opposed to Stutzla, that um, he's, he's potentially special. And that's one of the reasons why I think Colin and I agree that he's potentially the third best player in this draft class.
0: Is there something to be said though for taking the guy with the safest floor first because if you can get Stutzla at three and still get Raymond at five does that make you a little more hesitant to to outright pick Raymond at three or are you that confident in the player that you think that he's going to be better than Stutzla and you don't want to even risk losing him?
2: Um, I think there's something to be said for a, a floor in this in this kind in this type of draft, especially when we're talking about floors as high as Raymond's. And this is someone who, like, if we're talking about the Sens, and these are franchise-altering picks, and they, we really want to make sure that they nail these types of picks. So I think that um, taking that, well, well I think Stutra also has that decent decent enough ceiling that I think he can be an effective NHLer. Uh, again, it really comes down to these kind of semantics and that uh, what, what Ari mentioned is the way that they that they you compare that the way that they both kind of see the ice that they approach uh attacking the offensive zone i'm a little bit more convinced that raymond is a projectable player to the nhl and not just not just the nhl but to be an elite player at the nhl level so they both have super high ceilings and that can't be denied but uh um being going forward the player who i think has a better chance of reaching that elite potential um in raymond i, I think that's what essentially sells it to me
1: in the end and the one thing I'll add on there is to say that I think like for your listeners, especially we're discussing the minutia. Like these are, these are very close players. Um, one of the things that makes this draft so special and Paul and I have been blessed to, I think, have the chance to cover it in the way that we have this year, um, which is very different than our 2018 and 2019 coverage. Um, just in the depth of quality that we've been able to put out is like after Lafreniere and in our opinion, after Byfield, um, There's, there's a big range there from like three to 12 or three to nine or, but regardless, a big range of players. And I think, um, the thing that I emphasize the most and the people that I respect the most doing prospect evaluation is they're really, really able to communicate uncertainty very well. Um, and there's so much uncertainty in both of these players, Raymond's last season and Stutzler's able, a potential ability to translate his game to the NHL, um, But they're very, very close. And I think like for Sens fans, it's really um, a no-lose situation in that sense. Like I think we're splitting hairs. Um, But when we vote to choose Raymond at three, it's we're choosing the best player available. And our opinion of the best player available was Lucas Raymond at that time, even though I know that Detroit's probably licking their chops to get Stutzla um, at four to join him with Sider. And... You're, you're right, Brandon, in, in the sense of, like, when we hear Pierre Dorian and Trent Mann looking at those mock drafts and potentially trying to figure out what combination of players they can get, that's something that's really unique about the Sens' position in this draft, that they have three and five so close together. That's so rare, as we've seen across teams in the last 20 years. Um, I think they should do the responsible thing and try to think about what combination they should get, rather than just the best player available at three. Um but at least our approach in thinking of it is if you're really going to ascribe to best player available, then you take the best player available. And that's behind Raymond of three.
2: For sure. And I'd like to add as well that yeah. uh, that because there is that large range of players after Lafreniere and Byfield, um, Raymond and Stutzla aren't alone in that next tier either. There's a few other players that we really like in that range who we would be happy at five as well. And we ended up with Marco Rossi in the SB Nation mock draft. And I'm, ex- I'm personally ecstatic with that. Uh, I released my uh, draft ranking today and I actually had Rossi slightly ahead of Stutula for, again, very mi- minute reasons, but uh, I-, I love uh, the way Rossi, again, he started to attack the offensive zone and he's so sturdy on his feet and <laughs> the way he do- he decimated the entire CHL last season is, is unprecedented for or draft prospects, at least in the last decade. It's-, it's very rare that you see players eclipse the two point per game mark. And, and Rossi did that with with, uh, with ease this year on a, on a strong 67s team. So, um, again, like it's, I I, I know that there, uh, a lot of scouts see this kind of range of Stuchel and Bifield at two and three, but we're kind of opening it up to seeing that there are lots of amazing and unique prospects with unique skill sets that are very different from each other. And whichever a scout could tell me that they would prefer someone like Alexander Holtz or Damien Drysdale in that range. And I wouldn't knock them because it's a unique skill set and maybe it comes down to team need, maybe it comes down to personal preference, but in our personal preference, the way that we approach the uh, this draft analysis we saw that Lucas Raymond and I guess
0: Marco Rossi as well were our two picks in the SB Nation mock draft. I do want to talk about Quentin Byfield because you know it, it's I don't recall a draft in recent memory where it seemed like there was this much flip-flopping back and forth between who's number two and who's number three. Corey Pronman of the Athletic released his draft or his mock draft the other day, and he said he believed. That there's a 65% chance that the Kings are going to pass on Byfield and take Stutzla at number two, uh, but then again, even you know, based on what I've heard and from people who I know that are a little closer to the situation, it sounds like they're flipping back to Quinton Byfield. So, it's but but I think you guys, the sense I get I get from you is that you really like Quinton Byfield as the second best player in this draft. Ari, why don't you tell me why that is? Uh, what sets Quinton Byfield apart from Uh, Tim Stutzla and from Lucas Raymond and those other guys that you would maybe project around the number three spot.
1: Yeah. Byfield is an absolute unicorn and whatever team drafts byfield is. um, I just really hope they let byfield be byfield. I really hope it's not one of those situations where they, um, we get shoehorned into player comparisons and we're like, suddenly he has to be Evgeny Malkin or suddenly he has to be um, this big powering dominant physical presence. Um, Byfield is a skilled player with size, not a player with size who has skill. Um, and that's, that's an absolute unicorn. Um, the fact that he has his, his top gear and is able to be a transition motor through the neutral zone. Um, the fact that he's, again, basically almost a full year younger than Alexis Lafreniere, who also had one point at the 2019 um, World Juniors. And Byfield did that. Like it's, it's wild that I think people are going to hold a, a six or seven game sample and suddenly think, yes, yes, unequivocally, Stutze looked better at the World Juniors than Quinton Byfield, but they're in very different roles. Canada is not Germany. Um, and it's wild to me that people would think that the first overall pick from the 2018 OHL draft, someone who dominated um, the GTHL in his minor days, um, someone who had a a point per game mark in the 1.8s that Byfield had as a leader for a really weak, generally speaking, Sudbury team, but playing for a former NHLer and Corey Stillman who knows everything about the game, um, is able to play in all three zones and was trusted with defensive minutes at 17, able to play top line minutes, top power play, penalty kill, and on there, when you need a goal and when you need to defend because he was just given that opportunity because Sudbury couldn't shelter him in the way that potentially um, Ottawa could with Marco Rossi, for example. Um, That's so rare. That's, that's incredibly rare. Um, And I am all for giving Quinton Byfield time to grow into his frame. Um, Ottawa senators fans should know this very well. For some reason, we're very flexible with someone like Drake Batherson saying that he's going to be a late bloomer, needs to grow into his frame, needs to learn how to manage that. And Quinton Byfield's 17 and 6'4 and 220 or whatever he is. Um, and people are, like, knocking his puck skills and his coordination sometimes with the puck. Like, he's, he's a growing kid. He's going to need to grow into that. Um, totally okay, as Trent Mann said, if he has to spend another year in junior being the best player in the country. Um, You really take your time with a kid like that because if he lands, if he's even remotely close to what his potential is, that's your cup contending number one center you put against Austin Matthews every day of the week. Um, And I am salivating at a Brady Kachuk, Quinton Byfield, Lucas Raymond first line, right? Like that's that's that combination of skill and they complement each other so well that I think – I will be slightly sad if Ottawa leaves Lucas Raymond off the board at five and he's there just because of how well I think those skill sets will work together. Obviously you trust whoever they take, I guess, but um, I just think Quinton Byfield, especially as a center, given everything Ottawa needs, um, is just such a unique player. And I don't know how anyone can compare to someone with that track record and that potential and that that production that Byfield had, because it's not like anyone was relatively... Um, blowing him out of the water in that field either
2: all right you got my heart pumping (laughs) I am
0: yeah (laughs) me too I'm ready to run through a wall now
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm 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 extremely hopeful that Quinton Byfield wins in Ottawa even though I know the chances are probably like as you mentioned pretty close to even at this point but I mean we can't underestimate we can't (laughs) I can't emphasize enough just how skilled and how quick he is and that size definitely comes in, in handy too and no allows him to be like extremely dominant and just be able to take over a game at a moment's notice. Um, but yeah, I mean, his, his puck skills are right up there with Alexi Lafreniere in my opinion. Like he can really uh, mess with opponents and be manipulative of, of a defensive of pressure and he could evade defensive pressure as well, using his size and his skill as well. And his speed, like he has everything that you want in that number one center prospect. And as I already mentioned, if he gets even close to where that ceiling is, that's, it's it's, he's going to be an extremely fun player to watch he already is an extremely fun player to watch in the ohl level so uh i'm just excited to see how he'll be able to translate that to the nhl because yeah it's you only come across this once every it's very rare as i put it so um i'm hopeful um i'm a huge fan of byfield and i'm sure as i'm sure many of our readers are as
0: well so And I am too. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we have this, we have this combination I think of about four guys that it seems like we would all collectively consider a home run. We have the byfield or the Stutzla. We have the Raymond and the Rossi. Like those are the skilled forwards that Ottawa really needs, but there are some defensemen that are higher, that are higher ranked in this top 10 in the consensus top 10, maybe not so much, uh, as you guys have ranked them, but Colin, tell me why the senators maybe shouldn't be looking at a Jamie Drysdale or a Jake Sanderson with that number five pick, because I I think, and Haley made a great point when we were talking the other day and she said that, you know, it's not always best to just, to pick by position, just because if you can get a Sanderson, maybe he's better than, maybe he projects and ends up better than any of the defensemen that the Senators have in their system right now. We talk a lot about Ottawa's depth on the left side of their blue line right now, but if Sanderson can be uh, your number two left-handed guy behind Thomas Chabot, there may be people who would say that's the pick to make. So, so So why should Ottawa be gearing towards two forwards rather than two defensemen? Or a forward and a defenseman, sorry, I should say.
2: Um, I think of it more in the sense that these are the players that, th- that this team is going to be building around for the next decade and they need elite forwards badly. They already have Tom Shabbat gearing up and Eric Bresham as well, but you bring up a good point in that maybe, maybe these guys eclipse all these players and become that guy. But I see this glaring need for these elite offensive forwards that every cup contender will need and to put them over the bump and and actually get them into the playoffs first to let alone contend for the cup. So um, I see that there are a lot of fantastic forwards in this draft class and passing up on some of them would uh, be a bit tough in favor of someone like Jake Sanders. And i actually wouldn't be opposed to Jamie Drysdale at five as much as many seem to be, as as much as some seem to be. Uh, Because again, he has this dynamic skill set that reminds me of of so many of these amazing young defenders coming up. He's uh, incredibly mobile on his feet, uh, sees the ice extremely well, uses his teammates to his advantage, and is great in transition. But if you want to talk about transition defensemen, Jake Sanderson is the guy to go for, although uh, although there's certainly other aspects to his game that I'm a little more concerned about, particularly his offensive upside. Um, so while, so, so, while, um, so while they, again, it comes down to this tier of players. Like, there is very unique skill sets, and if a team feels that, that this is the player that they want for their system going forward, then, sure, take that risk. Um, Fifth overall may be a bit rich for that, in my opinion. Although, again, if if the
0: team just wants to take the swing, by all means, go for it. I I guess what I should ask both of you is we know the Senators have a dire need for elite game-breaking skill at the top of their forward lineup. That's, That's not even a subject for debate. As much as they need veteran guys to play right now, too, they need that skill. They don't have it right now. Do you have faith in the defensemen that they have in their system in Christian Moland and in Eric Branstrom Jacob Bernard Docker, Lassie Thompson, is that a core that Ottawa can go forward with and win a Stanley cup down the road? Or do you think that they should be looking for, for reinforcements on that front in the prospect sense?
1: Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. And I think, um, I think I'm going to be unfair a little bit to Drysdale and Sanderson because what I'm about to say isn't, doesn't have anything to do with them. It's about the, the 2021 draft class probably has like five defensemen, um, and Owen Power, Carson Lambos, Luke Hughes, et cetera, that are probably at Sanderson and Drysdale's level, if not better. Um, and I don't know about both of you. Um, I'm not sure if we should expect the senators to suddenly be better than a top 10 pick next season. Um, but assuming that it's safe to maybe say that they're likely still going to be out of the playoffs and in potential lottery contention, um, they could potentially draft a defenseman there um, or potentially swing for a top end ceiling in like a William Valinder, um, Antonio Johansson, et cetera, type in with that late first or early second. I'm not too sure if you're missing that much from a, from a Sanderson or a Drysdale standpoint. Um, but to answer the question, I think more, fully too I think um, it's interesting like Colin I think prefers Dries a little bit more and I think I prefer Sanderson a little bit more only because of the point you made Brandon in the sense of the skill set the team's missing I think the team is probably missing that transition to defender that that Sanderson is Shabbat um, and Branstrom's offensive game is probably what they need in the offensive zone and you can add Lassie Thompson's one-timer shot um, defensively, supposedly Jacob Bernard Docker is going to be there. He's played those shutdown minutes. He's played for North Dakota, the number one team in, in the nation last year um, for the U S. Um, but that transition neutral zone defense is something that Mitch Brown, whose opinion I value very highly for elite prospects, ranks Sanderson as one of the best transitional defenders, if not the best that he's ever tracked. And that means a lot to me. Um, so I think there's certainly room for those sorts of skill sets. Um, but. I, yeah, I guess part of my reason also for wanting two forwards is because I'm projecting ahead to 2021, which isn't really fair, but um, something I think any general manager and people with teams should also think about that way too.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, I, and I think that's a good point with the 2021 draft too. There's there's lots of great defenders available. Um, at the same time, I feel like this forward position, when you look at, at cup contenders and the, and the teams that are going over the hump. Um, I mean, I know Victor Hedman just won the Con Smythe, but um, you look at, at, at all these fantastic forwards that have propelled these Stanley Cup contenders all the way over the edge. And that's not to discount the value of defensemen, but I've, I've, I place a bit more value on these prospect forwards as well. And they just seem to be a bit more, uh, historically, they seem to be a bit more projectable to uh, playing into these elite roles too. So maybe that's a bit of uh, my version to just drafting defensemen this high in general. Um, not to say that I'm not a believer in Drysdale or even Sanderson to an extent, but uh, yeah, for, for forwards, I'm just I, I, I I've I've grown an attachment as well to some of the forwards this year as well. So um, those are the, those are the players that I'm personally just gearing towards this year.
0: Yeah, it, it's about filling a need on the NHL roster, right? Um, and right now, the Senators have a huge need in net with. Uh, Anders Nilsson's health being a question mark going into the season with Marcus Hogberg, he has been impressive, but we still don't know quite what he is yet. Joey Decord has been lights out in Belleville, but it's probably too early to thrust that guy into a full-time NHL role. We know who the highest ranked goaltender is in this year's draft. It's Yaroslav Oskarov. Uh There has been speculation that some teams in the top 10 like him. He's Ottawa's been attached to his name here and there. Now, this is a tough one for me because we were just talking about how you you may ignore your prospect pool and just straight up pick the best player available. What scenario would the Senators be in where Askarov becomes the best player available to them? Would it be trading down? Do you maybe not do you maybe not hate the pick at 5? Like I I don't see him going to Ottawa personally, but in what world would it make sense that he's the guy Pierre Dorian picks at number five or even later in the top 10, if the Sens trade down? Um, For me, if it it involves
2: trading down, I think it'd have to be a fair, fair ways, like into the second round. um, I'm... I know, that's, <laughs> I know that's a bit of a hot take, and I mentioned this in my draft article that went up early today. I had to Descarav ranked 35th on my board, which I know was a super hot take, and, but at the same time, I look at goalies in general, and it's hard to project them going forward just in general. Prospects are hard, but even for NHL goaltenders, on a year-to-year basis, it's nearly impossible to find out which goalies are going to be good for the next season. It just, <laughs> Goalies are just, just fluctuate that much. Even the top goalies in this year, in this year like Andrei Vasilevsky, Braden Holpe, um, Sergei Bobrovsky, these guys fluctuate so much on a year-to-year basis. Even Carey Price, they, they have an elite season and then they don't have to meet the next season. Like it, It's just hard to figure that out. So Eskarov, I think, has a limited ceiling in that capacity in that even if he does have this elite stretch of play, you can't ever guarantee that for a season, uh, for on a season-to-season basis. Whereas if you have someone like Lafreniere, you can expect him to be a top-line forward for the next decade, just flat out. Um, of course, Lafreniere, everyone has him in a tier above Askarov, but I think you can see that about a lot of the top fours in this draft class, especially, even some of the defense we just talked about, is that you can expect these guys once they reach their ceiling to kind of maintain that ceiling for uh, a fair ways. Whereas Askarov, even though goaltenders are debatably the most important position in in hockey, and while he may end up bucking the trend and being that one guy and proving me wrong, and I hope he proves me wrong, because I've from what I've seen from him has been pretty spectacular. Even what we've seen this season, he's been lights out in uh, the KHL to start the season so um, I hope you proved me wrong but goalies are uh, random specimens and I always have a hard time evaluating them maybe that is a bit of personal bias that no, I just um, have always had a hard time evaluating goalies in this way but uh, based on the data I don't see how drafting a
0: goalie in the first round at all makes sense. Do you fall into that same camp Ari I mean there is something to be said that Or for getting a goalie on the market, it it may be even a bit of a safer bet, especially in a year like this where the goalie market is just insane. To trade for a goalie or to sign one through free agency, is there any way for you, Ari, that Askarov would make sense for Ottawa in that first round?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, and I'm I'm laughing, um, and for the listeners. Brandon was in the midst of drinking water when Colin said he ranked Askarov in <laughs> the second round. Coffee, come on, come on. Wasn't planned. <laughs> coffee, whatever it might be, and Brandon did a great job of not spitting that out. Um, look, I think Askarov is really interesting and a real difficult prospect to rank because um, he's an outlier. And I think, like even dead, like data wise, it's extremely hard to rank outliers. Um, by all accounts, he's a fide top 15 pick. I don't think he makes it to Toronto at 15, and my heart would probably stop if Toronto got him at 15, so I really hope that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Um, by all accounts, he's a, he's a top 15 pick, and by the folks who scout goalies and do that very much better than me, um, goalies are very much a weakness for many folks, um, fans, scouts, analysts alike. The data points on them, the way Player tracking and puck tracking potentially works that in. Um, but by all accounts, the folks who've seen Askarov really think that he's there. And um, if Ottawa wants to trade down and grab him, I think that's something they, they can do. Um, for me, I think I generally used to, and I, I think I generally am on the side of Collins on goalies in general, on picking goalies a little bit later. Mainly because, Brandon, when you talk about, like, the inefficiencies at the NHL level, there are always top goalies available. Like, if you look, Ottawa traded for Ben Bishop and then traded him away, and he became a top goaltender for for Tampa Bay. He was injured a bit this year in Dallas, but very much still a top goaltender by most means. Robin Leonard, super happy for the guy, re-signing in Vegas. He looked like an amazing prospect when he was in Ottawa from Sault Ste. Marie and Frolunda um, had a really great initial Calder cup winning run with Binghamton um, then faltered for four, five, six seasons. We know that there's a lot of off ice stuff that goes into that and how hard that was for Robin Leonard. Um, and then look like now he's at his ceiling by all accounts, Robin Leonard is exactly who many projected he would end up being. And when he was a second round pick back in 2009, I think, um, so I think there are lots of inefficiencies in the trade market, potentially in the European free agent market. I, I think teams probably don't look too far into signing goaltenders from Sweden and from Finland who are playing in the SHL or in Liga when they could potentially be really good NHL starters. Um, and I think that's the, that's the part that makes it hard with Askarov. Nothing to do with him as a goaltender himself. But when you're just speaking purely on a value basis... Can you make up that value with paying a lesser asset, like a contract spot? And can you make that up with potentially scouting really well, investing into that um, kind of analysis, like investing into goalie development? Could that potentially do that where you don't have to spend an asset as difficult as a first round pick on him? I think that's more so the play with drafting a goalie early in the first round, because there are so many inefficiencies still there in the market as opposed to drafting a, a top line forward or a top pair defenseman. Um, but again, nothing to do with a scar-off. But I think it's a it's a macro level question rather than a micro level question.
0: I'm glad you brought up the idea of using different assets because one of the things that you and got you you two and I have fundamentally disagreed on is The usage of draft picks for the purposes of trades. Uh, The Senators have 12 picks now after trading the fourth rounder to Florida for Josh Brown. I'm of the opinion that even if you select 12 players, you're not going to have all 12 of those guys playing in the NHL this year. You'll be lucky if you have three of those guys playing in the NHL this year. And the Senators are at a point where they desperately need guys that can play on the NHL roster because it's fine and well to say guys like Drake Batherson are going to play first-line minutes this year and Marcus Hogberg is going to start X amount of games or even a Quinton Byfield or Tim Stutzel is going to play f- first-line minutes this year. But you need guys to insulate them because, by all indications, this team defensively is going to get caved in again this year. They're going to be taking a lot of shots. They're going to be turning the puck over lots. And it's going to be a struggle for them defensively. So I'm of the opinion that some of those picks should be moved. And again, I'm not saying trade a first-round pick for a stopgap, you know, two-year center or something like that. But I really do believe that when you have that much draft capital, you should use it to recoup some ready-made assets. Explain to me and to the listeners who maybe aren't familiar with your particular aversion to trading picks, explain it to me. Like, make the case for me for Ottawa to keep – all 12 picks. So Ari, why don't we start with you and then we'll go to Colin.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, first, I really appreciate the fact that we can have this conversation because I think um, there's totally good arguments on every yeah, side. For sure. um, and I think it's totally a good conversation to have, um, I guess. So speaking philosophically and not about a specific team, I think I agree with you, Brandon on the fact that I think teams should be, far more aggressive in trading picks and prospects for players that that can help right now. Um, And I think this is especially true if you're a cup contending team, like look at what Tampa Bay did with, with Blake Coleman, for example, right? You trade a high asset. Um, Tampa Bay didn't know they were going to win the cup, but clearly thought Coleman was going to help them do that. Whatever will trade for a player who um, is going to be signed for cheap, for the next year and help our team now, even if he's not potentially worth a first rounder, because of what that asset means for you going forward. And I think that's philosophically what this is all about. It's about timelines and asset management. And I think for a contending team, um, prospects only have value relative to playing in the NHL. So instead of taking a shot at the dark, and you know that generally speaking, like, Teams are only going to hit on 30% of their picks, which, what is that math for Ottawa? Like three or four players. Maybe that's a little bit better because three and five are probably going to make it. So maybe we'd say four or five. That's like seven picks that are going to probably turn into nothing, right? On most, on on, on average. Um, However, I think for a rebuilding team, the same prospect can be worth a different amount to them and a rebuilder should always chase upside and risk. So prospects have more utility to them because you wanna have as many potential cards to play to potentially use later when your team is actually ready to contend. Um, And for Ottawa, I think what makes potentially trading a high pick difficult right now is while the team has a very deep prospect system, as we all know, a lot of those prospects are pro ready. They're in Belleville, they're in Ottawa. Their timelines right now are 2020, 2021, 2022, potentially. When Ottawa recoups the assets from this draft class, they're most likely going to be ready to play pro in 2023 or 2024. Outside of pick three and five, who may be ready a little bit sooner, almost all of those second round picks are going to at least take two more years of junior or collegiate or Europe, and then potentially go to Belleville And those are assets you're going to want to have to either flip for NHL players to put you over the top in two, three years um, or potentially to fill in on your team. Because for a team like Ottawa, you need more so than other teams, that entry-level cash. Like you need a cheap player who could potentially provide lots of value in limited minutes. Kind of like what Toronto's struggling to do right now because they've spent so much on their cap on stars. Assuming that Ottawa is going to have to do that, with three and five and Brady and et cetera, um, you're gonna you're gonna need that talent. So I don't think they should potentially utilize that now for some stopgap when the team's gonna be crap for the next two seasons. Regardless, even though I know development matters, because I think those picks have more utility to them later for when those prospects are actually gonna play into the team's timelines. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with. Pretty much everything there, actually. Yeah, um, it's really about thinking about three, four, five years down the line when the Sens are going to be uh, in in that in that cup contending window, when they're going to be uh, needing these prospects to fill in these spots on the roster more. Um, I, I I agree with you too, Brandon. That there will be will be some need to fill out some spots on the roster, but they also have cap space, and I'm I'm also a, a proponent. We talk about finding. Uh, market inefficiencies and goaltenders. I think that there could be the same thing in skaters as well to fill out the roster and free agency. Um, not that I necessarily trust the sense do that. I also have some uh, qualms with their pro scouting, which is why I guess I'm also a bit more hesitant for them to trade the picks. I mean, I'm also, even just looking at Josh Brown, I mean, he's, he's a DJ Smith guy. He wasn't exactly effective on the Panthers last year. Maybe they end up doing something different with, 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 with the picks. But, uh, um, but yeah, as, as I already mentioned, it really is about planning for the future. Um, and that while the present is still important for this development, I think that it 's uh, looking at the standings i don 't expect the sense to be anything more than I mean a bottom a, another bottom feeder again this year for what the third or fourth straight year now so uh, well it will be another painful season. It, will, it may be fun to see the prospects coming up. Um, I think it's still worth gonna be, uh, still going to be worth getting excited about the prospects that they 're going to come away with this year
0: to that point though. We're in a situation now where when you factor in that 28th overall pick that the Senators have from the Islanders, you essentially have five second-round picks. Uh, so I guess what I should ask you is this. Are there players out there that you would be willing to move those picks for? Like if I tell you you can package maybe, let's say, three of those second-rounders or two second-rounders and that 28th, and maybe a, a prospect for an Anthony Sorelli. Is that a deal you're doing, or are you still clutching onto those picks?
1: Yeah, I think as long as the timelines work, right? Like like an Anthony Sorelli is a very different conversation than a Matt Murray because the timelines are really different on an Anthony Sorelli. Um, and I think even like a, if we want a middle ground, it's like a Matt Dumba, right? Like a clear need as a right-shot defenseman. The Sens right now have um, – um, Nikita Zaitsev and Artem Zub and Josh Brown and Christian Yaros as their right shot depth. So not a lot there in terms of quality NHLers for Thomas Shabbat and Eric Branstrom and Christian Roland to play alongside. Um, and like, I think that's the, that's the question. I am all for, if you're trading for maybe a player who's U- U23, U24 really fits with the team's timeline, like go for it. Because I think that works and you're, Those teams, you might have... I think that's taking advantage of the opportunity that COVID and a flat cap brings to Ottawa. Assuming that we have to be careful with our dollars, more so than usual, um, you could potentially get a player like a Sorelli or potentially a young defender because they're capped out. And I think that's who you use pick surplus on, as opposed to using it on like a a stop-cap veteran centre to play top six minutes when you could have just... like why not play Josh Norris and Logan Brown and Chris Tierney there? Like, why not let the senators be a little bit chaotic, but be exciting because it may a lead to more fans in the building yeah. and be like, what do you have to lose with doing that? Right. You're going to be a bottom 10 team anyways. And I don't yeah. think I'm less scared about Cody CC or Jared Cowan or Curtis Lazar happening to Josh Norris or Eric Branstrom because Josh Norris and Eric Branstrom have always been very different players. Mm-hmm. Cody, CC, Curtis, Lazar. Well,
0: especially Trump. if you have like a tyranny that can slot into that top six world for now, you know, until such time as like a Norris or whoever the Senators get in this year's draft is is ready to go. Colin, where do you where do you stand on that? Like, are there, is there, I think we're all in agreement in the sense that we think the Senators need to be adding young quality talent. Like nobody's advocating for trading for a 29, 30 year old center. I think we all want those U24 guys, like you said, Ari, who if anyone Colin like would you be willing to give up those picks to make a move like that I mean it really is a case-by-case basis what
2: is the team asking for who's the player we're talking about and I I kind of agree with the players already mentioned someone I I might even mention is Jesse Pugliarvi just as another swing that we're talking about if we're we're talking about swings in the draft we're talking about another swing but who's a bit later on in his his development and has shown at different levels already that he can really be contributor to some professional lineups so um but as as mentioned, as Ari kind of mentioned earlier, that it really is a there sort of is a percentages game with this. I think this thirty percent of picks generally turn out, but the sense ha- are are kind of geared up to increase their percentages this year by having these uh, higher draft picks and to be swinging on these higher end talent, especially with third and fifth overall pick and all of these plethora of second round picks. And it's very stocked up. <clears throat> it's very stocked up in in, uh, in the higher end of the draft this year. So I think they could still come away with quite a few quality players in this draft. But again, yeah, it really will be about taking these swings on uh, some higher-end-skill players. But uh, if it does take a couple picks to pry away another player that's – I think Matt Dumba is another player I'm I'm also on board with. Um, If Again, it it all depends on the price too. There's so many negotiations that we know nothing about. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of approaching this. It's a case-by-case basis. We'll see what
0: happens, um, and then we'll judge it from there. I want to give you guys both an opportunity now. So let's say you've been hired by the Ottawa Senators. You're working in their scout depart- scouting department. It's draft day, and you're having a debate about a player. Who is one player uh, – first, Colin Cudmore. Who's one player that Colin is going to bang on the table for and say, we have to take this guy? Well, I'm banging my fist on the table for Jeremy Poirier. Um, if we talk about the need for, <laughs> I,
2: I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably dying on the sale a bit too much this year because I've, I've gotten some flack for um, going all in on Jeremy Poirier, but in my mind, he is the third best defenseman in this draft class. Just on pure skill alone, he's a top 20, potentially even top 15 player in this draft class. He has all the dy- dynamic skills of even Jamie Drysdale, dare I say it, plus some electrifying power play abilities where he can be an incredible quarterback, has complete control of the puck phenomenal puck skills and utilizes his teammates extremely well defensively he's pretty awful and makes some pretty terrible mistakes that has his coaches and GMs pulling their hair out Uh, he makes those kind of quote-unquote big mistakes that a lot of people actually um, didn't like from Cody Ceci and not to compare the two players because I think Poirier is so much more dynamic skill-wise than Ceci was uh, even at at Ceci's age level Um, but Fauré I, I see what he can do in the ice in his best moments. And he really has the potential to be a number one defenseman in the NHL if, if things can start to improve on the defensive end and he doesn't make those uh, giant mistakes as much. And I personally, um, when I look at the draft, these types of things can be improved in prospects. If you can, get, if you can even just be fit in, into a competent defensive system and be even a little bit below average on an NHL stage, you're still going to get massive, massive value out of just what he can do offensively. And I know that there is some concern about how, that he was doing this in the QMJHL where there is a bit more space, but the way he sees the ice and makes it's able to make space for himself. And again, utilize his teammates in such an effective manner. Um, I'm sold on his offensive skill and uh, would be if I, I imagine he will fall to 28th because I, I think that um, I think that NHL teams will probably be a bit more hesitant in seeing those big mistakes and, and uh, the defensive lack of defensive ability. He actually was a negative goal differential uh, on Saint John this year, uh, so there is definitely some concern with that. But uh, man, I-, I-, I see what he can do, and
0: I'm sold. He's one of those guys who, if the Senators put the effort in, it'll pay off, right? Development wise. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that makes sense. I think I-, I really do buy into, and this is something that I've kind of come around on in talking to people like yourselves, who you know, you can't teach raw offensive ability, right? But you can teach patience and discipline and defensive structure and you can improve skating and stick work and angles and all those things that make a good defensive hockey player. Ari, who's one, who's one guy that you're getting in Pierre Dorian's face for maybe swearing at him a little bit, banging on the table. Who's that guy for Ari?
1: Yeah, I will first say that uh, I am not qualified. So the Ottawa senators probably made a bad staff choice in hiring me as a scout. Um, I think scouts do a really um, it's a really, really hard job, and I'm so excited that um, fans, and I think especially Sens fans this year, have had a chance to really play around with that, um, seeing kind of getting in in um, getting in getting the chair of what being a scout is like. Um, all the interviews that both of you have done with people, um, the amazing draft coverage in the community. Um, I think this is the most informed Sens fans have ever been on a draft class, and I think everyone here has probably done a lot to that. Um, if I am picking... Um, The 86th ranked skater by NHL Central Scouting for the North American ranking was Tristan Robbins. Um, He's someone who played in Saskatoon. He's 5'10", 174. Um, He scores a lot. He had 73 points in 62 games um, last season. He was second in points per game behind Seth Jarvis, who's a consensus top 15 pick. Really wonderful skater himself. Um, Robbins, I think, is someone who actually suits the sense very well. So I hope I won't have to bang too hard because I think he's someone who um, has really grown as the season has gone on. His second half was lights out. He's shown, I think, a wonderful ability to process the game. His hockey sense is really, really good. Um, he plays all minutes from a power play and penalty kill standpoint. Um, and I think his skating, especially the way he uses his skating smartly to take people off the puck and potentially transition the puck, Um, is something that's really underrated. Um, He's one of those players that I think when Colin and I were profiling, and I think we ended up profiling like 103 players over this draft class, which is absolutely wild. Um, There are so many players in this draft class who um, are small, who like there's very few 6'3", 6'4", behemoths. Another reason why Byfield is such a unicorn. Robbins is 5'10". Um, and I think he was also, people kind of doubted his strength, um, on, on his feet. I think that's something that as you and Colin were both talking about, Brandon, I think that conditioning and that strength is something that can grow. And to me, when a small player is able to do what he can do without that strength, I only can imagine the ceiling that will happen if he suddenly develops that strength, because it's, it makes no sense to me, um, A player who's big and strong, but doesn't have the outputs that we want. Why is he ranked higher? Um, Tristan Robbins, I think, is someone who is going to grow as the team grows and can potentially slot in as a center or as a winger um, in three years or so and really be potentially this team's Anthony Sorelli if the team doesn't get him. Um, And I think that's a really wonderful kind of um, person, player, Um, to potentially draft at 28th overall a 33rd or one of those second round picks. Um, I think he's some, he's someone who suits the team, but also someone who I think because of how he's potentially seen might be there later on. And I would, um, I would reach on him and potentially get him a little bit earlier.
0: Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on this episode of the podcast Uh, on a personal note. It is, it's awesome writing with people who are as knowledgeable uh, about prospects as yourselves Uh, I I appreciate that in the sense of a guy who focuses more on the pro side of things and uh, just not having the time or the wherewithal or probably the smarts to actually do all this mathematical painstaking research on all these prospects so thank you for informing people like myself who have no idea what they what they're talking about when it comes to young players and uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show today
2: Thanks so much, Brand. Silver7 is an awesome community and we hope you join us there for draft day.
0: Yes, we Thank do. Thank you
1: so much for having me. Uh, this is a fun debut and I think um, I'm excited to get the 2020 draft on and off my plate. Um, me too. <laughs> And I'm excited yeah. for, for how the community is going to receive the draft class. I think regardless, um, these are players and human beings and I think as fans, we should be happy at whoever the, the team takes, even if it's not Lucas Raymond or whoever it is ends up being selected. Um, there's It's it's really, really hard, I think, for the team to miss. And while I think that is making all of us very anxious, because um, what if the team screws this up after a lot of screw-ups over the last couple of years? Um, I think there's also a lot of excitement in the, in the possibilities that can result from all of this. Um, we're heading into a new decade of cent- fandom with a new jersey and the new players and i think um i really hope this draft class sticks i
0: need it to just be over for my nerves i can't do it anymore <laughs> uh did you guys want to plug your social medias before i let you go here so that people can find your awesome work
2: sure yeah uh you can find my writing at silver seven cents Ari and i have been draft drawing... <laughs> As I mentioned, a whole bunch of draft profiles. So we'll have all, we have all the coverage up there. We still have a co- bit more coming too in the next couple of days. So keep a look out for that uh, on Twitter. I am at Cutmore Cohen. Um, I have a podcast too with Trevor Shackles. It's called the Cosper
0: Pointcast. Yeah. Um, it's much better than this one. You should listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. Um,
1: yeah. Also at Silver7, my Twitter handle is CarteCL. I'm C-A-R-T-E-C-I-E-L. Also want to shout out, I think, some of the wonderful people in the community who have created free resources for us. Um, Elite Prospects, PIC244, and Dave McPherson. Um, lots of folks, I think, from the Elite Prospects community, like Mitch Brown, who've done tracking data, Finley Sherratt. Um, a lot of the European folks, I think, who have also put some of that data together. Um, I think the online scouting community is um, really... Big And while I think that might lead to some infighting about certain players, I think we're all blessed as um, people to be able to have folks to talk about and have, I think, a really positive distraction during this time.
0: And I think that's a great note to end on. Folks, thank you for listening. Make sure you catch the NHL Draft tonight. Use this as your primer for it. Make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, and rate five stars. All that fun stuff. we got some more exciting content coming your way next week. uh, And hopefully they can live up to the intelligence and grace of these two gentlemen here. So stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the draft festivities. Take care, y'all.